Nuclear. Now is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Ross. Uh, before we get started today, you guys may know this, but I just learned this over the weekend. You know, of course, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right? So apparently Robert Louis Stevenson was very specific that it should actually be pronounced Jekyll, not Jekyll. He, he said J as if it were spelled J-E-E-K-I-L-L, Jekyll. Wow. Wow. I did not know that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, I learned, I, I should say, I should give them a, a plug just so I can cite my sources. I learned it from a podcast, another one called No Such Thing as a Fish which is uh, related to a British trivia show called QI. I guess that's just a free plug for them. We're not related to them in any way, of course, uh, but I figured I should uh, at least uh, tell you where I learned that. But yeah, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That is cool. Not that I'm ever going to say it that way because everybody says Jekyll, but but I did think that was interesting. Well, it's like Dr. Seuss when he wanted it to be Seuss, but everyone called it Seuss, so he ended up <laughs> calling it Seuss himself. Oh, wow, I didn't know that one. Wow. Oh, yeah, no, because it was his mom's uh, maiden name. Or Don Juan instead of Don Juan in Byron's Don Juan. Right, yes. I didn't know it was Don Juan, and Kathy was discussing this, and she told me, which I didn't know. And it was wonderful because I was at a University of Toronto uh, talk, and I was chatting with this very distinguished professor, and I mentioned uh, Don Juan, and he was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stick with me, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> well, today, uh, I think we're going to forego our regular game a little bit because you guys sent me a phrase rather than a word, and it's a phrase that uh, I never knew was was incorrect, but I'm going to let you tell me why why I'm, why I'm we're all wrong about saying it this way because I think we pretty much all say it this way. Uh, you sent me the phrase spitting image, as in he's the spitting image of his father, but, but apparently that's not correct. Well, it's not technically correct. I mean, nowadays everyone says spitting image, of course, but, but really the word was, you, most people say spit and image. Um, and interesting, it became, it's technically correct, and they say, some say it came from a black ma magic or voodoo ceremony, others say it evolved from spirit and image, and others say it was biblical in origin, uh, referring to God using spit and mud to make Adam. So it's, it began as spit and image. But if you look it up nowadays, everybody says spitting image, including us. And here's also where we get into problems with um, the etymology or the background of a word. Recently, a, at an annual dialect society meeting, a linguist has said, actually, it was not spitting image, nor was it spit an image. It was spitten image, which was, he said, an, a dialectical past participle of spit. As in, as in. S-P-I-T-T-E-N? Yes, in and then it morphed out. into spittin, S-P-I-T-T-I-N, which then morphed into spitting. So there are all sorts of little bun fights going on. What is the correct way to say it? But I think now everyone pretty much agrees, as Kathy said, it was either spit and image or spit and image, but it's now pretty much spitting image. 
even though that technically I just wanted is to also correct. add that the spitten, the spit and spitten wasn't spit. Um, the linguist, he's, they said that the spit stood in for like another stickier body fluid that we won't go into detail about. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, spitting image, of course, doesn't really make any sense when you think about the phrase. Um, I guess spit and image makes a little more sense, uh, at least because we've got the and image part in there, and and we're just not sure about the spit part, whether it's, uh, as you said, God creating Adam, or or what's what's a little more interesting to me, the idea of spirit and image, which is a, an entirely different phrase that then would have been changed to spit and image, which would have then been changed to spitting image. It would. My guess still, though, is the seed aspect is probably the most correct. I, the idea of like God creating out of uh, or uh, a God, some mythology also has it of like either spit or another bodily fluid and then creating then creating the image of himself. And there one point that some linguists had made was that a lot of times the word was initially used or the words were initially used with between father and son. Again, you get the sort of genetic uh, image of the of the previous individual. So at some point it was it was referring to the father and son specifically. Now I mean now we say uh, you know he's the spitting image of Brad Pitt or whatever. Uh, it doesn't have to be somebody who is related to that person. But but you're saying that maybe uh, for a while at least it was referring specifically to the father and son. Maybe we don't really know. That's the problem. I mean obviously with Adam in effect God the Father creating Adam. And then some link, the linguists had indicated that there does seem to be a, a tendency to to have historical uses referring to father and son. But the problem always with language is that we all spoke it. We very rarely wrote down what we were saying. And when we did, it's hard to like extrapolate backwards into what we really meant. So I think right now, probably it's best just to say it probably refers to to initial genetic connections. Although they say also, I'm sorry, now I'm going to, I'm going to make it even more compact. A lot of that times they just say when you use spitting something out of your mouth was, was not, not as a genetic thing. It was, it was a perfect likeness to spit. That's actually interesting so, too. I tend to, we, Kathy and I both are at opposite ends of the spitting image uh, perspective <laughs> here. We're spit on spit. <laughs> yes. I tend more towards the American Dialect Society interpretation. Kathy tends more towards the uh, the more traditionalist interpretation. I have no idea who's right. We could probably argue this forever. And Kathy's ready to I do so. I also want to interject to make matters even worse. Now people say, in addition to spinning image, instead of spit and image, they say spit splitting image oh no like, as if it's like you're you're cutting a you know you're 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 di uh, bisecting a chromosome or something you're cloning so you find now in newspapers and stuff things that say that splitting image and that actually has been happening since the lat the early 20th century splitting image instead of spitting image instead of spit and image for all intents image. and purposes i think we're done with this topic <laughs> 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 which segues well, into something that <laughs> um yeah intents and purposes that's another one certainly that i thought of uh, as you mentioned spitting image uh not everybody says it that way certainly no, not that's one it's... of the ones it's called an egg corn it's uh when you use a word that sounds very similar and makes a lot of sense, but it's wrong. And people say for all intensive purposes often as rather than for all intents and purposes. And there are many, many people who do that and, and, and good newspapers, speech writers, etc. It's and myself, very common. I used to, I said this in college 
And I remember saying, for all intensive purposes. And this young woman who was with me said, did you just say intensive purposes? And I said, I suddenly looked like she was looking at me oddly. I said, no. She goes, you meant intense and purpose. I said, yeah, that's what I said. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I went to the dictionary and looked it up. Although actually, interestingly enough, the original phrase for all intents and purposes was to all intents, constructions and purposes. And it was a legal phrase, basically meaning that the uh, king had unlimited power to interpret laws. We now use it to mean pretty much basically for all intents and purposes, it's uh, going to be a bad day. We don't mean it's going to be a completely bad day. We mean basically it's going to be a bad day. So to kind of counter the argument we're using, to some degree, for all intents and purposes, isn't particularly accurate either. It's an idiom kind of meaning virtually or in effect, whereas it used to mean let's cover all bases by law. That's another one that's been misused for a long, long time. It's not a, it's not a recent um, incorrect usage. I think it goes back to about the 1800s, uh, the intensive... And it's become, as with so much, uh, as we get a little sloppier with our language, it's become more and more common of late. You know, this is always really fascinating to me to find out, and it always turns out this way, that misuse that seems uh, seems harsh to my ears now always goes back a lot further than I expected it to. Intensive purposes going back to the 1800s, splitting image, which I'd never even heard before going back to the early 20th century. It, it just always seems like uh, those of us who get fussy about language and, and wanting people to say things the correct way, when you look back, it, it all goes back further than we actually realize. Many times it does. Although sometimes I, there was an interesting enough when I was just looking up uh, intensive purposes, um, I happened to look, I, for some reason, I clicked onto something called I, Death Nail. And that's really recent. I saw like about 30 of them from the 2017s and 18s. Oh, Death Nail rather than Death Nail? Yeah. I just found oh. a Death Nail, uh, the real peeling of the Death Nail for some really weird one. But I saw Washington State Supreme Court strikes down capital punishment, Death Nail for the Death. Uh, the, I found a Google Drive's death nail into Zagat restaurant guide. But that's the thing. That's where we go back to the concept of an egg corn. It sounds right, and you can make, you could argue that there's logic behind it, like a coffin nail, if you think of Dickens and, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Christmas Carol, you know, the, at the beginning when he talks about the coffin nail. So death nail, in a weird way, it's kind of um, euphonic. It is. Like I kind of like it. And it's the beginning. It's sort of I interesting because using it. I looked just the other day for uh, earlier death nails. I couldn't find any. They're all from the past couple of years. Maybe someone will find me. some and, and uh, inform us differently. But I think Fletcher is right. Most of the time they're old, but occasionally we can see the birth as in an acorn, the birth of a new tree or something. It's interesting. Well, the thing that I love, if you, I mean, there, there are collections of acorns. There's an acorn um, database online that's loads of fun because you see all sorts of things that I've not heard, but they're, they're kind of funny. I mean, like holid, holidays sauce instead of hollandaise sauce. And my favorite, inter internally grateful instead of eternally grateful. Oh, that's There's sweet. <laughs> isn't that kind of cool? And then the, this is the all-time best, I think, like a bowl in a china shop. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Oh, going back to Death Nail, though, I just wanted to throw this in. It was interesting, though. You can see the transliteration in action. Uh, there's uh, Mika Brzezinski is saying something about uh, the picture you say, Susan, it's just a death nail. 
So I said, Nika Brzezinski didn't know death knell. I looked at, I listened to her say it. She says death knell. The transcriber wrote death nail. I mean, you can see it actually in, in, in action, that sort of mistranslation going on. Um, what gets me though, often in the case of Eggcorns, they sound so right. And in a funny way, sometimes I think that the, the incorrect hearing or, or phrasing sounds is more evocative. Like Going to another word, another acorn, we have dull as ditch water originally, and then it became dull as dish water, probably because people don't see that many dull ditches and they see a lot of dull dish water. So I think Kathy's Absolutely. point is well taken. And to some degree, dull as dish water, which is not the original, is probably much more evocative to the average person today than dull as ditch water. And that uh, is one of the joys, I think, of a living language is is that you can make changes like that 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 are more evocative that that do tell you maybe more about what you're actually trying to say uh, than what the original phrase was. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Although then there are others that are are just bad. I mean, like instead of dog eat dog world, a lot of people say now. Doggy dog world. Which, I don't know what that means, but it just sounds great. Listen, Kathy, there would be nothing wrong with a doggy dog world. Okay? I don't know. I'm a catty cat person, so. I have one more that's going to really hurt your ears, but when I think about it, it doesn't make it. It seems fairly reasonable for people to say, and that's supposedly. <laughs> That one really does hurt my ears. It and absolutely I, I'm does. actually shocked that you brought it up. I, I don't say it. People around me say it. Not a lot of them, but some of them do. And when I, and when I think about what they're saying, it's not completely crazy. You know, you could think about it's something that is able to be supposed, right? Right. It's it supposedly technically would mean capable of being supposed or conceivable. So something is supposedly you can suppose it. Supposedly is supposed to mean according to what is believed or assumed, but without often conclusive evidence. So there's a slight, dis- a slight distinction, but it's, it's getting much, much more blurred. But supposedly was apparently found in uh, the 17th century England. It was used for a long time and then it disappeared. So that's, again, we go back into words that we think were, are wrong, were used a long time ago. They lost and they became, then they faded out. Then they, came back again. And the funny thing about that is now Brits set, Brits consider supposedly an American vernacular thing. It's like, oh, those crazy Americans ruining the English language. And it was theirs first. Here's one from Samuel <laughs> Hill, a debate on the justice and piety, piety of the present constitution, 1696. Tis not supposably legal that all tenants in the manor can be, can be by legal forms of judgment, blah, 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 blah. He said it. And it makes perfect sense in that context. It, it does, actually does. So. I mean, that's the whole thing with language, though. I mean, these you know, languages change. Certain words t- come in, go fade out. My favorite recently is the uh, Indian word prepone, the Indian English word. We have postpone. And in India, you can also say, let's prepone the meeting. Nice new word. And it, it works really well. I love that. Don't you? I mean, why can't you? You yeah, can postpone really meetings. See, that's where I do love the elasticity of English. It's yeah. just, that's perfect. And I think that we should introduce it like in the in the United States and Canada as well. I mean, not just India. Uh, that's a great idea. Prepone. Yes. I like it. In this doggy dog world, we need new <laughs> words. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, so that I understand, what exactly would a prepone be? Moving something up? Yeah. We have a meeting at 12 okay. o'clock today. Hey, look, can we prepone it and make it 11? That's lovely. <laughs> oh, that's it. so nice. 
okay, guys, let's make a pact. We're going to start. <laughs> we're going to introduce this word and push it. <laughs> and, and what's going to happen is I'm going when people look at me funny. I'm going to look at them like they don't know what they're talking <laughs> exactly. about. Right, exactly. That's the beauty of English. You can always pull that out. We can always be snobs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I just thought of one thing. I just wanted to throw it out. We were talking about how idioms change. We had dull as ditch water becoming dull as dishwater. I found one that was just fascinating. A bunch of people are now saying dull as a dishwasher. And I'm wondering oh, if wow. that because we don't even really see dishwater anymore because we have dishwashers. And it, it was in a number of places, include, uh, mostly in car uh, that's, I've never, I've never run across that. That's fascinating. It, I mean, dull I had as a like dishwasher? A, yes. Here, we're not saying there's anything wrong with these two models, except for the Camry, which is as dull as a dishwasher. Few riders would be satisfied, <laughs> Rider Magazine, with a motorcycle that is dull as a dishwasher. And then I found this wonderful thing on um, Yahoo Answers. Why do we say as dull as a dishwasher? The answer, it goes, it's a saying that goes back to the early days when people used to be apprenticed as entries into their careers. Some people were not that intelligent, so they went into more labor-intensive jobs. Dishwashing was one such job. No thought has to go into it, and it can be taught to any person, no matter how dim-witted. Since that was a job that anyone with half a talent had, dishwashing and other medial household work fell to these dull people. That's why we say as dull as a dishwasher. I, I felt like saying, I never heard of dull as a dishwasher until I read that. I think this person deserves a creative writing award. I think that, yeah, they made up a completely plausible explanation for something that... that that doesn't have an explanation. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that I, really interesting? Hire them. But that's how false etymologies come into being. That's why it sometimes is dangerous to say, like, why did they say this? Because we, you know, people apparently make it up. <laughs> this episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at Powell at KMUW.org. You can check out special artwork for this episode and every episode designed by Jordan Kirtley at our website, KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus's newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got another book coming up later this year, and they're always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. Oh, and one more thing. We're actually going to hit egg corns a bit harder in a future episode, so I'm going to leave that aside for now, but I wanted to return to what we were talking about way back at the very beginning of the show, about how Dr. Jekyll was actually intended to be pronounced Jekyll. I went looking for other literary character names people often mispronounce, and I found a survey from Audible, the audiobook service, that gave the top ten most mispronounced names from literature. And... Okay, it's honestly a bit underwhelming. I feel like I knew almost all of them and didn't even realize people mispronounced them. But just in case you've ever gotten one of these wrong, I'll list them out for you. Amazingly to me, by far the most mispronounced name is Don Quixote. I guess lots of people just say Quixote? Which, I mean, wow.
Although, I guess we do have the word quixotic, which is not pronounced quixotic, but eh, who needs consistency? Next is Daenerys Targaryen from the Game of Thrones series, though you figure most people get that right now since the TV show has been so popular. Then is Oedipus, although the survey says it's pronounced Oedipus. The OED tells me Oedipus is fine as an American pronunciation, so I'm sticking with that. Couple of names from Harry Potter. First is Hermione, which I admit I totally would have gotten wrong if I hadn't seen the movies before I read any of the books. And the other is Voldemort, which, yes, keeps the T at the end silent. Voldemort, not Voldemort. I didn't realize that. Two others are Beowulf and Agatha Christie's Poirot. Again, both surprising to me that people get them wrong so often. Smaug, the dragon from The Hobbit. Pretty sure I usually say smog on that one. Violet Beauregard from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, apparently not Beauregard. I had no idea there, and I'm still not totally clear on why it's not just Beauregard. And then rounding out the list is Piscine Patel from Life of Pi. I guess people often say Piscine Paddle? I didn't even know that character's name. I've only seen the movie, and, well, I'm not so good at remembering names. So, there you go. Nothing exactly on the level of Jekyll, but still worth knowing. Now, if I can just get a pronunciation guide for all those names in Gulliver's Travels.